Podcasts are an independent way for podcasters like me to bring a local voice to your ears. At the Spent the Rent Podcast, we strive to raise awareness of topics that affect the often underrepresented. Our title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro, offers free money management advice that can help you take control of your finances. At OregonCashflowPro.com, you will find videos to guide you towards your goal of financial freedom. For more info, there will be a link in the show notes. The following podcast is available on all major streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can now listen to all previous episodes, donate to the podcast, and buy shirts directly from the Spent the Rent podcast at our newly designed official website, strpod.com. Spent the Rent Podcast. I am your host, Patty Rose. My guest today is a longtime dear friend and outgoing chair from the Springfield School Board, Zach Bassett. Zach, welcome to the show. Hey, hey, thanks for having me, man. I'm excited. This is fun. Yeah, this is really cool. We had you on. It's crazy. It was literally 101 episodes ago. You were in episode number 27. This is episode 128. Uh, So the show has definitely grown. Uh, I listened to it to kind of see what we had gone over uh, and we really got, we got nothing done. Uh, it was really fun. I encourage anybody, uh, to, to go back and listen to these old episodes. Cause I, uh, it was a lot of fun. We talked a lot about the work you had done with Willam Elaine for middle school dances and working with kids. And we're going to talk about Willam Elaine at the end of this, uh, you know, cause you're changing jobs. Yesterday was your last day with Willam Elaine. So, uh, I'm sure that you want to give some some shout outs to the people that have been there for you for 20 plus years. So we'll get to that in a bit. The reason I had you on is because you uh, had at that time had just recently been appointed or been elected to the school board in Springfield, Oregon, and you ran unopposed. And it's crazy how different this time around looks for the candidates that were running. And so we, I I wanted to do this and I'm glad you agreed to do it because uh, we just had our election on Tuesday to appoint the new school board members for Springfield and for 4J and for in Eugene. And you and I had talked, I cut your hair a couple months back and you had told me you were, were not seeking reelection and you had some pretty uh, interesting takes on why. And so I was like, well, we have to, we have to do this on the podcast. So yeah. here we are. So Zach, it's great to see you. It's great to talk to you. It's been a long time. Yes, sir. I'm glad to be here. And, uh, uh, I did a hundred. I can't believe you've done so many episodes. It's crazy. It's pretty wild. Yeah. And it's growing. Yeah. And you know, people get fatigued as far as, uh, listening to every show, but you know, they're just for anyone listening real quick update. Uh, you can listen to the podcast on any streaming site, Apple podcast, Spotify, all that good stuff. Or you can watch on YouTube, uh, primarily or exclusively on YouTube. So depending on where you're listening to this, there's it's available in both audio and video. I'm not doing Facebook video anymore because I'm trying to plan my escape from Facebook. <laughs> and and so I was pretty frustrated with the, the technicals behind the scene with them. And I just felt like one place would be better. And YouTube is obviously the standard. So I'm pretty pleased with, with the setup on YouTube. So So anybody listening, make sure that you go and you subscribe to my YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash two RD. But, uh, my favorite thing about the, about the Patty Rose podcast is that, uh, or spent threat podcast is that, um, you don't have to listen to like 30 minutes of ads and like try to fast forward through all the people's like tour dates and stuff. Yeah. I definitely do have ads and I'm going to play an ad in the middle of this. I I created a little break spot for my, my title sponsor, but I try to keep it light. You know, I try to keep it light. This isn't about making money. I do basically break even with the podcast and I've turned down sponsorships because they wanted creative control. And I was like, no, you can have none is how much you get. (laughs) So, so anyway, so let's get to it. Uh, you know, thanks for doing this. And and you know, first thing, first things first. What should the new members of the school board expect? Oh man, I think uh, so. We got some new members, but we have uh, Jonathan Light who's coming in, who who definitely knows knows the system and knows how it works, and um, very uh, very astute to how to get things done in a school district. And um, I mean, I didn't endorse anybody. Uh, because the, during the last election cycle, there was just like some nasty stuff going around. And it was like really 
not positive and uh, people asked for my endorsement. And uh, at that time I was like, I'm not endorsing anybody because I'm going to have to work with you for the next, however long, next two years before my term expires. And uh, I was like, I'm just not going to endorse anybody ever again for something that I'm involved in at that level, because uh, it's just, it's, it's a weird situation when uh, somebody who, you did endorse ends up on the board and you have to work with them in the future. And this is, the, I mean, this is the, um, you know, the work I'm proudest of in my life probably. And I want to be able to come back to it at some point, even though my term's over and, and I just don't want, I don't want bad bridges. And I mean, while I'm all about sticking up for what's right and the people that are right, I think in this race, we had some really, um, I mean, we had, Anthony and Jonathan that were running for that position that were both like super awesome dudes. And either way it would have went, I would have been like, great. We have somebody who's going to advocate for kids. I thought Jonathan had a lot of experience um, knowing how to run the board and a lot of history. And with what, uh, I mean, most of our members are, have been there less than three years. And so I'm thinking, you know, Jonathan's going to be a great fit along with Amelia, who's been there for a while too. Uh, maybe maybe not even take the leadership role i'm sure they will but like just to have like some historic knowledge and some knowledge of like how to how to really get things done um i think my biggest in, in talking to like new school board members or anybody getting involved in politics for the first time um man the learning curve is is tremendous and i i'm a, a pretty open honest guy and like to say i i don't have a clue how to run a you know, I knew Robert's rules of order to some extent, but like when you actually have to lead a meeting with it and, uh, and know your stuff, it's, it's different. So, yeah, um, it's a, it's a huge thing. I mean, I, I remember when I, when I first heard that you were going to run, it was an unopposed seat. And so we kind of joked about it, you know, but it, once you get in office, it's a very serious job. I mean, there's a lot to it. And, and then, sure. and you had no idea when you had signed up that we were going to be looking at COVID. You know, that was yeah. something, oh, yeah. I mean, and it really changes things. So I want to give a shout out to all the people that put their name out this time around because of that, you know, because of many reasons, but, but knowing yeah. what they knew, knew that we were dealing with, with dealing with, uh, distance learning and, you know, getting kids back into school and like the safety element of it and all that, those questions are humongous. And, yeah. and so there's a lot, you know, Anthony Reed, I want to talk about it briefly oh, yeah. uh, because I think Anthony is one of the most motivated campaigners I've ever seen in our local area. And he's so off the cuff and he's so genuine. And I think, I don't want to say losing. I think him not being successful with his run. Well, that's actually worse. Losing, he was very successful with his run. He didn't win the seat. But I think that he's going to grow even more because of it. So I think he's got a really bright future. I'm not really familiar with Jonathan Light, to be to be honest with you, but I yeah. take the words that you had said on Facebook where you weren't endorsing, but you you gave him high praise, which sounded like an endorsement. So you can you can call it what you want. I know that feeling because in a race for me, uh, the uh, city council race where it was Chris McAllister, Johannes Tadeo, and Corey Rodley, I at the very last second kind of endorsed Johannes because I I was. Chris had 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 been uh, taken out in the primary or the midterms or whatnot, and then and then uh, Corey and Johannes, I felt like they were both amazing, and I just for representation, I thought that Johannes would bring a lot for the Latinx community. But oh, I think you're right; I kind of regretted it because Corey Rodley was incredible and accessible, and I kind of regretted endorsing completely. I should have endorsed both, and the and yeah. the DLP DPLC has done that. The DPLC will endorse candidates that are running against each other if they're both Democrats because, you know, they're both amazing. They're basically saying yeah. we how we back them. So I think that that's one way you can go about it. Uh, that's, a huge, that's a huge thing to like admit lately. It seems like everyone is like so one sided and life is like a competition. But to to like understand even in talking to Jonathan and uh, and Anthony both both support each other. Both are like. You know, Jonathan's a great dude. Anthony's a great dude. Um, yeah. Like I just, my name needs to be in the hat too. And like, they both have great things to offer. And I, I mean, I, I've talked to Anthony a little bit and sent him some messages and said, you know, stay involved, get on the budget committee, get, get involved in some other stuff and your time will come. I mean, 
the turnover we've had on the board in the last, you know, five years has been pretty crazy. Most people don't serve their whole term or, you know, and the stuff comes up, people move, people change jobs. Like it's a volunteer job. So you can't always fulfill a four year, four years from now is a long time. You don't know what's going to happen in your personal life or your career. So um, there's always, uh, you know, appointments that are going to have to happen at some point. So having strong people like that on deck, that the board has a relationship with that they know at least knows what the budget process like knows what a board meeting looks like people have been sitting around studying who um can a uh represent what we feel like the community needs the most and then also know enough to step in and fill the role so um having those people is is so so huge and we have a great budget committee, but most of them are um, just not interested in the board work. They serve a great role, um, but, you know, th they just aren't ready to do that. And uh, that, and that's huge on their part. I'm, I've always been like a serial overcommitter, and so I don't understand that. Um, but I, in my uh, old age and my wisdom, I'm starting to understand saying no is like, uh, is something that like is really respectable and to listen like you hear you ask people stuff and they say no and you're like all right i man your life must be really freeing to be able to say no to people and right. so that, that's a skill like i'm uh, that's a skill i'm currently learning and uh well one thing that i i mean i've known you for a long 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 time you know and we haven't spent a ton of time together in the last you know 15 years whatnot yeah 20 years but i still know you the core person i know where you came from and I know the last few times I've seen you that, that th things have changed for you. Like you have really matured and I don't, I mean, we're 40, you know, so obviously it should be happening by now. It should have but, happened a long time. But the thing is, is that it's just, you've always been so uh, jovial and just kind of easygoing and, and you're pretty focused now. And it's just, it's, there's a lot of change happening. That's why I wanted to have, have you on because I want to kind of get to why and where you're at and where your head's at and stuff, because I'm proud of you for one. I want you to know that, but it's, mm -hmm. it's definitely a, a different You're This, this experience taught you a lot. It's obvious, you know? Huge. So, so, you know, what was the biggest surprise about being an elected official? Man, I think like, just, uh, it's weird. Like these people, like you get like this instant respect from people and, um, you can like, I've always been like a horrible judge of character. Like I've always just given everybody the benefit of the doubt all the time. Everybody is like my buddy. I, I never, it's, uh, you know, I got married and my wife's like, why do you hang out with that person? They're kind of a, they're kind of a dick. I'm like, well, I don't know. I just, I mean, they're my friend. That's just them. Like I just look past like people's inadequacies or their character flaws. And so I've always just been so accepting of people. Um, but I, over the last couple of years, I've really learned uh, how to examine people if they're being genuine or not. And when you're elected official, you get a lot of, you get a lot of smoke blown up your ass, to be honest. Like, I, I mean, I'm just on the, I was just on the school board, you know, it should be, it should be like fun and about hanging with kids. But, you know, there's people that work for the school district. They're like all nervous. You're coming into a building or, um, you know, they call you Mr. Board chair or whatever. And, you know, sometimes they're kidding, but other times you're like, what? You're giving me this, like, royal treatment. And uh, it's bullshit, man. I'm just a guy. And uh, so you can really, like, judge people's character by how they treat you once you're elected versus how they treated you before. And I think uh, – and then the other thing was, like, other elected officials, um, how they – you get to really see people's behavior. And uh, it's changed a lot, in my opinion, like – of the world like i used to just think everybody was like genuinely a good person and what i've what i've like kind of matured in lately is like people have ulterior motives like almost all the time yeah absolutely <laughs> so, uh, it's funny that you thought people were genuine or like you know inherently good I know. that's funny it took you 40 years to figure that out it took me like three uh, <laughs> but, but you know no but that's really interesting you know and uh it's a good thing, though. I mean, these changes that I've noticed are good. I want you to know that. But I, I just I, the frustration that you told me, you had told me, I asked you, I said, are you going to seek reelection? And you're like, 
Absolutely not. You know, not for now, you know, not now. And what was it that, that made you that done with it? I mean, was it COVID? Was it, you know, explain that to me. Yeah. So, I mean, at first, like maybe two years ago, I was like, no, I'm probably not gonna run for re-election. And at that time it was, there was a really ugly school board election. And I'm like, I saw some ugly sides of people and I'm like, I'm out. Like, this is not what I signed for up for. I was jaded. And then I was like, dude, my daughter is going to be at high school next year. Um, I missed like some of my son's baseball games for school board stuff. Not a lot, but like enough to be like, I, I missed part of that senior year of baseball. And uh, I've been just, we've been hustling uh, so hard for the, like the whole time our kids have been kids to like establish our careers and, and better ourselves. And we haven't taken a lot of time to, just be parents. And I was like that I, my daughter really deserves that. And I I spent a lot of time into other kids in this community and my daughter deserves everything I have to give her. So that was, that was the initial motivation. And then COVID hit and I have this group of like, I've always been a super pro union guy. I'm in a union, my new job, I'll be in a union. You know, I've, worked with on the bargaining team multiple times um super advocate for the work the union does and even the teachers union i mean my wife's in that union and so many of my friends are teachers and this like i don't know i i think i expect people to um have like the best wish think that I have the best intentions because I've always thought that of other people, you know? So I just assume that people will trust me and like trust I'm doing the right thing. And so we're COVID hits, we're getting ready to like, Oh, first of all, school board doesn't make the decision on when we go back to school or not. That's, you know, the superintendent's decision. Uh, and then the board, you know, has a decision like we're going to back the superintendent or are we going to say, Hey, no, go, don't go back to school they're not ready and we're getting all this pressure from the union about uh, not just the union but the whole community about hey we're not ready or um, I'm scared and um, I made the choice and I think the rest of the board made the choice to you know back our superintendent and saying that the kids needs were the most important and I will never disagree but I, I think what really spoiled it for me was seeing groups of people who I know to be sold out for kids, who I know's um, primary focus of their lives is serving children, and they've done that for their whole careers. And then, um, not that they're wrong for saying that I don't want to go back, or I'm wrong of it, or not to say that they're wrong for having fears, but myself included, like human nature, we just like, you know, you jump onto one system of what's right and what's wrong, and you refuse to look past and look at other factors. Sometimes, like, uh, like we kids, we had kids. You had kids at home hurting and kids um, not getting the services that they're used to, and <clears throat> those kids and those that are in these situations that weighed on me heavy during this COVID time. Which I mean, we'll talk about that later. But part of the decision to switch careers was because. Like what I worried about this whole time was those kids sitting at home who needed adults in their lives or, or, and people who cared to check in on them and uh, parents, frankly, they needed support too in, in caring for their children that we weren't able to give. And as a tax funded organization, like we have a job to do. And right. if the kid, the 13 year old at McDonald's has to go to work and the barber has to go to work, um, I think if we're if they're paying taxes and they got kids who they're expecting to be educated, we got to figure out a way to do it. And then, and the that's where the the lack of faith in my leadership and in the district's leadership um, was really off putting for me because we had we had a plan to go back to school like the beginning of summer and like as soon as we stopped going to school, our staff went hard to work like creating a plan to go back and they busted their hump to do it and they worked with union leadership to do it and then um through it all i mean the uh through it all it still came out to be like 
uh, them against us. And we got, my wife started getting hate mail and people assuming that she believed the same way I did, that she believed that she should go back to school and, and teach and they didn't count her in as part of solid union solidarity and kind of cast her out a little bit. And then myself, like just getting hate mail on Facebook and stuff like that from people that, you know, I considered to be friends about like, you, you know, you're, the bloods on your hands were all right. You know, the thing is, the, the thing, we're all going to die. My experience with this, and this is troubling. It's hard, you know, is yeah. that with COVID and a lot of things, I mean, we're so divided on so many things, so many people, but what you're saying is, is that you found that with this, that there's people that you normally agree with, even that you were button heads with but yeah. the, the difficult thing. And my girlfriend and I have conversations about this daily about COVID is that when you have a way that you feel about it, it's definitive. Like you cannot, it's not something you can adjust or, or budge on because you're so strong in your conviction that it's not negotiable, you know? So in, in your mind, you know, and I think it's so dangerous when you have, when anyone, well, no, no, I know. That's what I'm saying is that is that you, we find ourselves. And the only way that I can acknowledge that is if it's something that I acknowledge in myself, I'm saying that I've had that kind of attitude and I've had to check myself. And I know that we're here, not, we're not talking about, you know, these teachers being bad people, the union being bad, the quite the opposite. It's like, wow, it was surprising that people are so non-negotiable. And I think it's, it's so consistent across the board. I mean, we can talk about the masks coming off in society and how people are like, nope, you know, I'm not, I'm not ready yet. And I'm one of them in some ways because of the safety of children. Now for you, I can't even imagine if somebody was coming at you and saying, do you not care about these kids? And you're like, what the hell? That's why I did this in the first place. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sitting here for, I ain't getting paid to take this shit from you guys, (laughs) you know? Right. Um, But at the same time I did sign up for that and I just have soft skin, man. I, I, I wish I had thick skin. That's just not me, man. I take all that stuff to heart because I'm, I'm an open book kind of guy and that's just who I am. And then there's some strengths that come with that. So the big thing that like, another huge realization for me of where I'm like this flawed, weird individual where I have like, I have strong convictions. Um, and when it comes to like, um, you know, people being able to love whoever they want, women's right to choose things like that, dude, all day, I'm the most liberal person you've ever met. But then there's other things where like, I, I have this flaw where like I'm the devil's advocate all the time with with everything that comes in, I'm like, I have to weigh out both sides of this all the time. And so I have friends that are very strong, um, you know, Democrats like yourself and people that are like really involved in the party and the work that the party does. And like the, I signed up to be a, um, a committee member with the party. And I've been like so disengaged since the election because I just have a huge, I don't know that I can, fully be a Democrat all the time because like, I understand, I fully understand that there's gotta be like, there's gotta be a radical both sides of every issue. So that at some point everyone busts their ass and we end up in the middle like that. It's sad that that's how it is, but what we've we've lost over all this is the end up in the middle part. Like there's there, we've lost all compromise, all respect for the other side. Like in general society just thinks, Oh, you don't, you're an anti-masker. So you're a piece of shit or, you are a crazy radical liberal. Um, you know, you hate guns. You you are like in this one state of mind, and I'm like, I'm not that guy. I I'd like know, to push I, back a little bit on that, and and here's why. Push. Okay, so I think you're talking about being a precinct committee person. Yeah, 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 for the Democratic Party, so the DPLC, and I and I am a precinct committee person for the DPLC too, and and I can tell you right now, my experience, I'm the same way. I'm like, I don't really want to call people. I don't want to do it your guys's way completely, but yeah. I got to say this: I've been welcomed with open arms, and I've Absolutely. spoken out, and I've spoken out in ways where I've spoken out against some of the norms, and I've still, it's never been, it's unfettered support that I've been welcomed. Yeah. And so I want this to be clear and why I continue. I'm with you 100%. I have the same exact feeling. But the DPLC, the Democratic Party of Lane County, has shown me that contrary to belief in the big scheme of things and what we feel like on the, especially on the national level, that we want a big umbrella. 
we want to bring people to get to the table that have different voices, learn from each other and challenge each other a little bit. And, you know, I mean, doing a show like this, I'm going to say things that are going to, people are going to be like, whoa, like that's going to be bad for business, but I do not care, you know, like, cause I want it to be genuine. And I think that me and you are very similar in that way. And yeah. here's the thing that I worry about when people like me and you who are quirky and different, we, we get our involved and we get disenfranchised by it. If we don't continue to be at the table, then we're allowing someone else to do it. And I think it's been due time for a long time that people that are the ones that are like, screw the system, we need to be the ones getting involved, yeah. you know? So, so I understand where you're That's at. That's a great way to package that. Yeah. And, and I have a ton of respect for people, you know, uh, I got a guy that first one that comes to mind is super conservative. He's a plumber, lives in Pleasant Hill, not going to use his name, but we talk politics. We disagree on certain core values. I think he's an amazing human being and I've learned so much from him, you know? And so we, it's really important that we reach across the aisle too, but I want it to be clear that with the democratic party of Lane County, my experience is that they are like, you know, they might roll their eyes. They may disagree. We have different strategies, but the overall goal is a big umbrella. We want as right. many people at the table as possible, you know, and I think that's been pretty incredible. And I, I feel like right. I feel valued in it. So right. I think, what, I think just to back that up and to say like, that's more my, uh, more of that shit's my problem. Sure. And it's not DPLC's problem at all. And it's more, um, as I look at, at considering myself a Democrat and publicly saying that I'm a Democrat, I had, I've had some problems with that. And so you're right. Like I, had, I just, I think the fight in me is gone for a little bit. I'm tired. Sure. And, uh, sure. And there's one thing I want to say too, you know, that that's really one thing I've learned about this whole process. Now I don't want to be ageist. So don't, 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 don't at me when I say this, but when young people get involved, which is a really incredible thing for young people to hold public office, like, I mean, young, I mean, under 40, (laughs) under 40, you know, (laughs) yeah. Under 40. That's the the crazy fucking part, Patrick. No, but hear me out. Hear me out. People don't step. People don't fucking step up, man. No, there's a reason. There's a reason though. that this, I think it's good to have both. I mean, there's just people that are phenoms that could be 25 that are just killing it, you know, and that's, and that's incredible. We need those voices. You know, a person like Kelly Mason, who's going to be on the board, a younger individual, she's going to bring a lot to the table, you know, and, and that being said, I think that with, with local government, Okay, when it comes to age, it's a volunteer position like you had alluded before. So there's no real pay, you know, and maybe a parking voucher. (laughs) And, uh, you know, so a lot of times it it tends to be people that are retired. And with that, they have the time. Now, this is what I love. You didn't close the door on down the road on being like, you know, maybe I'll get back into this later. But when your kids are at it, this is a a time where you're like, I don't want to miss these years. They're going to go by and, you know, down the road this experience is going to be something that you're going to, you're going to gain so much from, and that maybe you can put yourself back in there when you have the the time, when you actually have the time, you know, and Absolutely. that's an incredible thing. It's something I've learned. It's like, you need somebody to hold these positions that has time. I mean, my dream is that when I retire, that's when I'll run for city council, when I can give it my hundred percent all. And yeah. a lot of times with the, these committee meetings, you know, you want it to be fun. You just worked all day and you come home and you're like, I actually want this to be enjoyable. I don't want to be doing stuff that makes me want to bash my head against the wall, you know? Yeah. And so it's really difficult. And with COVID, we're not able to have the parties and like the, the gatherings where people are bumping elbows, smiling at each other and that kind of stuff. So hopefully soon we can get back to being more in public. But something I've learned is, is that it takes all kinds. We need uh, people from different age groups and demographics and all that kind of stuff on these committees and on these boards. But we also need people that have the time to dedicate a hundred percent of their, their time. And that's really hard to give, you know, I think, um, I think that's why it's so important for young people to get involved in politics and hats off to Kelly. When I was talking to her, she's like, I'm still in school. Like, I'm like, Oh my God, that's awesome. Like I, I'm glad you're getting involved now and that you can like, you're picking a path. Like there's so, there's so much value in, um, in wisdom. Like so I've, I've learned that over the year that like being able to call people who have wisdom that you can trust, um, is huge. But the other side of that is as young people being involved in politics, not having the answers, having to ask questions of the leadership, um, having to post questions that they think that people is just common sense to these people who are older that are in these roles. 
um, is is really good for organizations yeah. to have to answer those questions. Yes. And uh, it puts them to task, you know, it yeah. bring, it, and it makes them kind of go, whoa, you're right. I actually overlooked it. So this is what I say. What I'm saying is we need both. We need, Absolutely. you know, young people. We need older people. And that's why committees and boards are so incredible, because you are a group of people coming to a conclusion. You can persuade each other. You can, you know, like the 12 jurors in a court case. You know, it's like you yeah. can really come down and, and communicate with each other and learn from each other and, and lean on each other. You right. know, and it's pretty special. You know, I we. Think- Go ahead. I think uh, that kind of segues a little bit into like something I'd, I'd love to talk about. It's just like, um, like you, when we were talking about new board members and, and what to expect, you come in with like this fire in your belly and you're going to make all the changes in the world. And you, you know, there's a big misconception about how powerful the school board is. I mean, obviously, yeah, it's not going the direction you want it. You can fire the superintendent, whatever. Like, of course they have to like answer to you. And there has to be like this unspoken respect that they have of you and that they, um, and you can really ride a superintendent's ass and, and, and make their job really difficult. The, the position that we've been in in Springfield for the last however many years is we've just had like a rotating door of superintendents, which is becoming pretty common nationwide that the superintendents don't stay very long. Um, our community isn't the kind of community that embraces that kind, kind of stuff. We're kind of old school. And so, we like that historical data. We like to have a guy that's been around for a long time. We like the Nancy Goldens and the Bob Kiefer's of this community who, you know, serve here for a long time, make a name for themselves and are really sold out for this community. I think that's what we desire in, in those high level leadership positions. And so over the last, you know, two years since we hired superintendent Hamilton, my, my spot of leadership has been, really this collaborative governance is what the school board association calls it of like really um, bridging these gaps because there was a lot of uh, trust missing between the school board and uh, district staff, the cabinet staff, like all the the higher ups at the district, like there's this mistrust and we were asking questions that made it sound like we just didn't respect them or um, just weren't well-timed. And so I've done a lot of work in the last couple of years to like bring, to bring that together and, and show the superintendent that we trust him and show and be like that, um, be like that boss that you want to have that makes you want to succeed and do really well. Like I, I, I've kind of looked at it from that perspective and there's another perspective the school boards run on and that is question everything, um, make them really freaking prove it, make them accountable for of course you make them account for every decision, but like just hammer, hammer the district on everything and make them answer for everything. When you want it, I want it now. I want the answer now. Like you can really be a, a hard ass as a board member, or you can be somebody who tries to unite things and it takes a mix. And I think what we're going to get out of Jonathan White is going to be somebody who's, who's going to light a little fire under the district. And, and it takes all types. And I, I recognize that like me leaving, we're going to lose a lot of this, like, uh, camaraderie, like maybe between the district and, 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 uh, and the board, but I know, um, I know it's healthy and I know we're in a place where now we can challenge our practices and improve on them and really start to make, now that there's like this foundation of trust. And we're starting to get a foundation of a board. I know that um, I know that Kelly and Jonathan can come in and really start to, um, you know, ask the hard questions. And there's a strong enough foundation that they can answer them with some trust, trusting the trusting in the board that they're not there's not malicious intent. We're not trying. We're not going after anybody's job. We just want we just want answers, and we want the district to be better. And I think we're, we're set up to do that now. And I'm, I'm really excited to see Jonathan like carry that torch and make some, make some shit happen because I, I started the board wanting to make some shit happen. And I was like, never in a place where we could make shit happen. Cause we had, we had, a, you know, between rotating door of superintendents and stuff going on at A3 and restructuring A3. And then you pick your big goals and you really have to focus on what the big picture is. And like, we want our graduation rate to improve, but we can't improve the graduation rate and do a thousand other things. Right. I mean, there's only so many people out of school district to do these tasks. So right. 
we really had to pick like our, our big items to go after. So I guess this is just me saying like, um, as a message to the incoming people, like I'm stoked to see, um, see a real push for change and a real push for like the internship opportunities and, um, and see CTE really take off and see kids get more hands-on skills and be in a place where we can like build now the amount of money that we have coming in from COVID relief right? and with, yeah. and with state funding and all that kind of stuff. There's never been a better time. To no, they can't squander it. They can't squander the opportunity and have it go to administrative costs and that's it, you know? Exactly. And so now we do have a lot to talk about, so we're going to have Pardon. to kind of move on. Uh, <clears throat> you know, one of the biggest challenges obviously is COVID, but the other challenge moving forward for the school board that I can see is the question that you hear on Facebook or you read on Facebook every time, and it's ridiculous. And the question just, this is how it goes. It says, what is your position on critical race theory? <laughs> and it already, it's such a loaded question. You know it. You know that what that sounds like to me is the person is saying all lives matter, but all perspectives of history doesn't or don't. So what do you say? Now, there was a, a public thing that I'd like to talk about that Todd Mann had made a post about how there was a school board meeting and I'm sorry, I'm calling it out. It was a public forum. I can do this. It was on Facebook. And he said there was eight people, eight members running for the school board. They had a school board meeting and only two people showed up and Anthony Reed, it felt like he was like, he gets an alert. If anyone mentions anything remotely can close to the school board on Facebook, he's like, whoop, here I am. And he yeah. said, you know, he said, I'm running. And then this woman asked, Anthony, was not what we were talking about at all in the, in the thread at all. Had nothing to do with it, specifically at least. And she said, what is your position on critical race theory? And he starts arguing with her about, about uh, you know, or I wouldn't say arguing. He said, look, we need to acknowledge, we need to talk about some of the things, the ills of our past in the, in the history of this country. And we've done it wrong. I mean, we're still talking in some areas about Christopher Columbus, you know, and yeah. so... You know, a lot of the candidates that were running, uh, um, mainly Kelly Mason, She, this is something that diversity and, and uh, equity is so vital to her campaign, and it's all it's what she's about. So I'm, I'm sure she's going to get a lot of pushback from the Thurston folks and from some of the – I hate to single out the Thurston folks, but I see it constantly in the Thurston Neighborhood Watch Facebook group. But your response was just hilarious to me. Because you were so disgruntled and it's something you didn't never see from a politician because you chimed in and these are almost exact quotes. Uh, basically, you said, hey, lady, look, <laughs> like I will hold my cap to the fact that we have done what we can on the district to uh, push anti-racist ad agendas. And so you can take your white sheets and burning cross and kick rocks. And <laughs> so what was going through your head in that moment? Uh, I think I'm. I just get really tired of like, like I said, this really one-sided people just drive me freaking nuts. And I think when you look at the racist right and you look at um, these people that embrace this uh, critical race theory, um, you really see like people are just so close-minded to seeing what's going on around them. And not that they can't, I mean, My neighbor is like, as, uh, you know, proud boyish kind of guy as you'd ever meet. But I know him well enough to know that he's not really, he's not like, he's not a racist. I mean, or maybe he has, does some things that are, are racist. I do things that are racist. You do things that are racist. Absolutely. We all do things that are racist. Absolutely. Um, but people have a good heart and people dismiss their own, like, I think that's the most troubling thing for me is that people dismiss their own good heart and will look past, like, like the goodness that's in them to be a part of something bigger than them and hating a group and maybe not even realizing that they're hating another group, but like they'll dismiss everything that they know to be good about humankind to like argue or to like, you know, just piss things off, piss people off. And I think you and I, I know both were, that kind of person at some point where we would just say shit because we knew it pissed somebody off. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like, absolutely. Just, I mean, that's in my entire life up to some point was like, what can I say that's going to just fucking 
Well, but I think just, people are passionate. I think people are passionate about this issue, and I'm not defending them. Yeah. But, you know, the people that are asking this question, I think that they're I – w- I don't want to say their heart's in the right place because it's actually in the opposite. Oh, but no. the reality is is that they are convinced – because I think you can have a conversation about strategy of government when it comes to how to combat racism. Right. Because where is the government's place in it is a conversation that w- needs to be had, you know, because yeah. people do believe that you can create equity by creating jobs, by less taxation. I've talked to people of color that have told me that they believe that they are Second Amendment absolutists, for example. They're like, you start taking away Second Amendment rights, it disproportionately hurts minorities. So yeah. there's conversations that can be had, and that's just one example. You know, so it's not an easy fix. But I am a firm believer that until we acknowledge the ills of our past, until we talk about it. Now, and this is what I've been saying a lot lately. When it comes to race, if we as white people talk about where our ancestry started, so not our nationality, our nationality for every single person is citizen of America, I don't care what shade you are, you're an American. But right. your ethnicity you know, or your lineage or your roots may be somewhere else. So I've, you know, celebrated my Irish heritage, for example. And then people that are of Asian descent have, I've, I've talked to a ton of American, you know, Asian people that are like, well, I'm from Korea, told me about the culture. Maybe their parents came or they themselves came as immigrants. Once you start knowing the immigrant story, we can have the conversation that all of us have had that. And the, yeah. except for the natives and African-Americans, because it was stolen from them. And so until we acknowledge it, you know, I mean, for, for black history, you know, I've had conversations with people where they're like, well, I don't like white supremacists, but I don't like black supremacists. They're all talking about, I'm proud to be black, this and that. And it's like, you know why? Because they don't know what country their, their ancestry was from because it was erased. Right. So until we acknowledge this kind of stuff, we'll never make progress. Yeah, you know, and you can't be a supremacist. Calling. You can't be a supremacist when you're the oppressed. It just doesn't right. exist. That's right. It's like when people use the term reverse racism, you're like, uh, that's not a thing because ra- one race isn't real. Like right. you like dominant culture created race. And so we look at, at race as, you know, as it is um, people of color. I mean, I guess you could put them as, you can't put them as racist because they didn't create. No, it's prejudice. It's prejudice. Yeah. Prejudice can exist prejudice, across the board. Yeah. And you know, that's the thing you cannot, you cannot be racist against white people because of the current landscape of the existence of white supremacy in our country. I mean, then that's the thing. So this conversation that happens, what's your position on critical race theory? It always brings it up. And I always want to say, and like you said, you know, sometimes I, I, we catch ourselves and we say things just to be an asshole. But my attitude of what I want to say, because they're like, you're teaching our kids that they're racist. I'm like, no, 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 no. We're teaching them that you're racist. Yeah, you know, because well, what you're saying is inherently racist. Now, well, I think the point that we need to get to is that we need to teach everyone that they've done things that are racist, and it doesn't mean that you're a bad person, uh, a terrible you're person, Satan or that like you deserve to be hung because you're done things that are racist. Like we've done things that are racist, sure. we still are doing and still things do. Yeah. We may always do things that are racist. The difference needs to be that we cop to it. And try to fix it and nobody's and like this white guilt that uh that i feel like i'm surrounded with by the conservative people i know is like no i'm not going to feel guilty for this it's not my problem like i didn't do this or you know this it's a made-up problem like no none of those things are true it's a real problem nobody's asking you to like pay reparations no one's asking you to like do anything except for admit that some of the things that our ancestors did was fucked up right and to admit that some of the things you say are not right now let me ask you this examine yourself now did you did you get that question asked to you maybe through email in your time on the board oh man i mean we occasionally you'll we'll get emails that are like um my my student was taught um is being taught by you know all liberal left people and they shouldn't be exposed to only one perspective and, and this kind of stuff. And I'm like, well, you know, I, I think any teacher teaches from a place of, of what they know. And, and I don't believe, I mean, we've all been in classes where the teacher's perspective gets shoved down your throat. Sure. But that's part, that's part of life and part of education is filtering out like, 
that everyone has a perspective and that there's good and bads of everyone's perspective and no person is is perfect right so if you're telling your kids that everything their teacher says is is golden and then getting mad at your at a teacher when they um shell out their perspective on something that's I don't know. I think the biggest problem that we've had in the structure of learning and education is that it is exactly that. It's the teacher speaks, the teacher's word is gone is golden and the the students are not heard from enough. Right. You know, and so that needs to be students of color, that needs to be all students. That needs to be, you know, we need to have conversations directly with students. Now, uh encouraging free I, thought. I hope is, that this is, is okay is, that I mention this because it was private conversation, but I talked to Sean Van Gordon, Mayor Sean Van Gordon, and he asked me about ideas that I might have for, uh, to encourage civic participation in the youth. And what I told him is I was like, the fact that you're asking me, this is really incredible. Kind of like you had talked about before, how he holds a very uh, prestigious position and a very powerful position in our community. And he's somebody I admire deeply. And the fact that he's even asking me those questions is such a, an honor to me. And yeah. I'm like, you know that if you reach out to children, teenagers, high school kids, they're a lot smarter than a lot of people give them credit. So I think that if you just ask them questions about what is it that you think would motivate you to, to build towards civic participation in the youth, they're going to be inspired by the question itself, by even yeah. being considered. And so I think that I use that as an example and I hope he's okay with it that I mention it, but he's, I just love that his mind is even there that he's like, what can we do to motivate civic participation in the youth? And I think that the whole education system has gone on it wrong a lot of times. And we can talk about how this class sizes are too large for this kind yeah. of, you know, 40 kids in a class. size. How are you supposed to listen to every single kid in 35 minutes, you know? And, and I mean, there's all, we could be here forever, but it's just we need to have more input from the from the kids, you know, and yeah. you know, you don't want the patients running the asylum, you know. But at the same time, because no one, I'm, I'm kidding. I was gonna say they shouldn't have listened to me and you, but that's wrong. I think if we were actually treated like adults in high school, that's what I hated about Springfield High, and yeah. why I transferred to South, and why I got a three point five at, at South and a one point two at, at Springfield, it was because I was treated like a criminal at fourteen years old. Was I a criminal? Yes, but that's not, that's beside the point. Exactly. No, no, I mean, and there was a few teachers that, that, that were like, I'm going to break ranks here and I'm going to tell you you're special. You know, I think you're really incredible and I think you're a really inspiring person. And I'm just like, mother, like, it's just, it was built in for me where it was going to be, I was only going to be accepted by a few people, Right. you know, like my, my close friends, one or two teachers. You know, and, and so, yeah, it's pretty frustrating. Yeah, that question is tough about critical race theory. And I know I got off the point, but, you know, no. it's because these people. The fact is, anybody that's using that term is a fucking racist. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, and I love that. Well, not like, the I'm term, but they're, when, they're ask, when they're framing the question, what's your position on it? It's a trap is what it is, you know? Absolutely. And so that's the point is that they're trying to be like, see, you are that liberal leftist agenda and blah, 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 blah. You know, we talked with the people that I had interviewed for. Uh, the, the school board races, uh, technical. Yeah. So we, we had talked to the people running for the school board races about, uh, Kendrick Lamar and how Kendrick Lamar's poetry, which has won awards, uh, the most prestigious awards for writing was included in a curriculum at North Eugene high school. And then someone made a decision where they're like, well, no, 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 no. We're not going to teach that. And people are really being short-sighted on, on thinking that you can't teach nuance in school, you know? And I mean, we just, as a society need to be more nuanced because you can talk about how some of these rappers, MCs and whatnot, uh, are, you know, troubled, but then that's also a conversation about the product of our, of our surroundings and society that we need to be having. And, and so the kids are going to perk up because they're going to feel heard, even if they're being talked to you about rap, because they're going to know more than the teacher. Right. On the topic. And they love that when the teacher knows when the students know more than the teacher in a topic that you've seen it, the students perk up and they're like, here's my time to shine. Yeah. You know, and that's when it actually is an, an inspiring session, you know, so. And that, I think that's exactly where like I see education going. And I, I think we're like, gosh, I mean, the bar that we like, what we see is like way up here. Right. Like we see, um, you know, we see what like a perfect world looks like. And then obviously a system as large as education takes time to change 
and there's a lot of things that need to change. But what I really realized is that um, it takes radicals and uh, I could have been more radical in my requests and, um, and the things I wanted to see um, because it's really to, to get to where we need to be is really going to take some people that got a lot of fire in their belly that want to see things change because we are, like you look at the look at the changes that we've made in um, career and technical education over the last five ten years in Springfield. Like we were already probably a front runner in the state for CTE stuff. We didn't drop shop classes when everybody else did. Um, we held that stuff really close, and we we made it a priority even in the worst times. So that said, being a front runner in that in the state we still aren't where we need to be. And we still have, I mean, one of the problems I've talked about lots of times is we still have seniors who, even if you don't have a perfect high school career, you get to be a senior, you got almost half the day off. Like, what the hell? We're just letting kids out run the street for well, half the day? Well, there's job. I, I actually am okay with it because of the fact that there's job. People have jobs at that time. I mean, if you're driving, you have to pay right, for but it. But what I'm seeing is that needs to be like a requirement. Like, I don't want kids sitting at home or um, not being accountable. They, our taxpayers paid money yeah. for that time. Sure. And that's on for, the parents. I mean, I hate to say it, but that's on the parents because especially senior year, junior year, you should be writing. What you should be doing that time is applying for colleges. Right. You should be writing essays. There's there's time management. It's a that's different- where you should, but that's where the changes that happen, Patrick, sure. is in the achievement gap because, because not all the parents are set up to do that. No, not at have all. the ability or like, I mean, I am... I did the process of registering for school as a, as a, a first generation college student, essentially. And uh, like I navigated that process. Right. It was freaking See, hard. I, I did it the right way. So, I did. Like, I did. I did around my freshman year. I got no yeah. credits. And that way my <laughs> senior year, I had to do night school, summer school. Yeah. I had to work, learn a work ethic when it start when it was starting to matter. No, no, yeah. no, I don't condone what I did my freshman year at all. No, but no. what I'm saying is like, we, we can, we can do all the things that like anytime we say that um, parents are parents need to do something um, like, yeah, parents need to be involved. And obviously kids who have parents who are involved and are, are doing things to better their future are going to have a better shot at life. No, I mean, that's just how it is, but how do we bridge that gap in school and make those things more systematic to eliminate like the systematic racism and, um, sexism and um, and just the great divide in in people to allow for everyone to have those opportunities if they need it and to and and to encourage kids to go after what's next yeah. because that's where we kind of miss the ball like you said you're going to sit in a classroom and listen to me talk about crap you don't care about all day like what why is there why do you want to continue why do you want to continue your education if education is the most boring thing you've ever been a part of and frankly uninspiring like if you can go get inspired by smoking weed in the alley and hanging out with your friends and um well learning about society is what gonna is make lo- more money selling drugs anyways than sure i mean not just that it's it's a lot of times i always used to call it researching your role but yeah. but, a lo- but a lot of yeah. times it's it's learning it's learning about society it's actually learning about you know a hard knock life now we we don't have a lot of time so we do want to talk briefly, and I mean, we well, I'm going to have to have you back on a million times because I love chatting with you. It's amazing. I like to keep it at about an hour because uh, if not, people tune out. And so let's talk about Willamette Lane. So you're leaving Willamette Lane yeah. uh, after 20 years, started as a lifeguard, and then at the end of it, you were the president. No, you weren't. No, no, but you had worked up in, in, in different capacity and whatnot. But what was it that led to your decision to leave Willamette Lane? Uh, so like I got, I got the ADD pretty bad and I deal with some depression and stuff here and there. And, uh, 10 years of, I mean, I, I've worked with him for 20 years. The last 10 years I've been in a coordinator role, which is, you know, like a middle management ish position. Like I don't supervise people, but I coordinate stuff, train people, create all the fun stuff, like probably the funnest job you could ever have. But after 10 years of anything, I mean, I, Man, as somebody with ADHD, I'm bored uh, five minutes into any task. So 10 years of something, I was just kind of like, right. you know, it's time. We've had a lot of organizational changes at Lamb Lane. Some of them are going to be 
are going to prove to be for the better over time. It's just, you know, anytime there's an organization that deals with turnover and uh, large scale reorganizations, there's some growing pains involved. And Lamoline went really fast from being the memorial building with one receptionist, um, being like this really mom and pop organization to having Bob Kiefer Center, uh, expanding the parks we have, passing crazy bond, like this community just valuing what we did so much that it just exploded. And so to the, we went from having one receptionist, Joyce, who knew freaking everything about everything in the district to having multiple departments with multiple people working front desks and answering phones um, in like a very short thing. So there's like the scaling of that organization has been, um, has just been crazy. And so like, obviously you get switched around and move departments and it's never, I mean, sometimes you get what you want. Sometimes you don't, I got taken off middle school sports, which was kind of like, I've never been like a sports guy, but I really loved that program. And kind of when that went away, I was like, you know, like you played sports, you just weren't good. I, exactly. I was horrible. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't remember anything about any of them or where I was supposed to be or yeah. the goals or, I mean, no. I was too busy, like spacing off. No. Um, yeah. So, so it's just time for something different. It's, it's time for, it's time, time for a new adventure. Time for a new adventure. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm Zach. I'm extremely proud of you. I'm extremely proud Patrick. of the kind of person you are. You've always been, you know, you've grown and matured like we had talked about, but you're still the same 12 year old dumbass that I, that I, that was one <laughs> yeah. of my absolute best friends. And yeah. And it's That's really, times, man. it's really cool to see the person that you've became the father. I mean, I'm guessing you're a good dad. I still think it's your wife that does okay. all the work, Yeah. but <laughs> on the first podcast, we had talked about how like you just kind of smile and eat dinner. I, I don't know. I could just, but I know that's not true. I know that, that you had talked so positively about your kids on the last podcast and I've never met them, but you talked about how they're just such inherently good kids. Now that was two years ago. So who knows? Maybe they're both in jail, but <laughs> yeah. uh, no, but I mean, I, I, that proof is in the pudding when you have that. And I think the structure, you know, obviously when you're married to their mom, it makes things a lot easier, <laughs> you, you know, and I don't want to downplay what it is to be a single parent by any means. I'm actually saying it's a challenge. It's a very difficult yeah. thing. And I have a ton of admiration for the people that do it. But it makes things easier when you when you stick it when you stick it out, you know. It does. And so I, I don't know. I'm just really honored to call you my friend. And I'm super proud of you for putting this last the work in the last four years on the school board and and really just giving it your all and learning from it. I mean, it's amazing to hear what you have to say, and I can't wait to to be able to off camera or off air to be able to learn more about it too, and you tell me the truth. And I'm, I'm an open book too. Yeah, you're I, pretty blunt, and I I'm think it's great. Here sit here dropping the f-bomb and being the school board chair and i whatever well no one listens to the show so that's a really good thing Uh, no i think this is a really great episode i think this conversation is really is valuable and i and i i look forward to having more with you we're getting to that hour so we could we could sit here and talk Uh, we you had mentioned mental health and with men and it's so important i mean say a few things we have three minutes but say a few things of why you think that's so important i think it's important i think like you know, we carry this huge burden as men of like this macho like perspective all the time. And for men to be able to say I'm having a hard day or to be able to go in the bathroom and cry for 20 minutes because shit just sucks right now. Um, those kind of things just aren't acceptable. And we've like widely unaccepted, aren't accepted. Like, I, like the, there's people the that, gender roles that we've, we've put on ourselves, which is why I would consider myself a feminist too, is like, Feminism isn't just about like women's rights. It's about this whole system that we've created where men are supposed to be this thing and women are supposed to be this thing. And, uh, and all men can't fit that mold because we've, we've society's created such a huge role for men to fill. And so uh, I think the biggest thing on mental health is realizing that no matter who you are, you're, you're going to need help and, it's okay to get that. And it's okay to tell your friends you're having a bad day. And, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sick of seeing, um, sick of seeing our dudes. We know kill themselves because life's too hard and the pressure is never ending. You, you know, the first thing you ask some 
gal when she's dating a new guy is what kind of job he has or what kind of car does he drive or whatever. And, and the prestige that's put on males is about what kind of job you have and what you do for a living and how much money you make. And then what we've done for so many years is the most prestigious women in the world are the ones that are privileged enough to stay at home with their families or make that choice and their family can afford it. Not just like homemakers, but we're talking like, you know, Kardashian level. We put these people that appear to have no responsibility and um, just get to raise their kids and have fun on like this, this super high level. But yeah, I think that it's really important for people to every individual, male, female, whatever gender, the, we need to have in we need to have both traits of masculine and feminine traits Absolutely. we need to have we need and, and these are old standards that we're going on and and i think we're breaking those molds now more and more and more but i think it it's really to be okay for adult men to watch horse movies and cry and that's what i'm all about i'm not going to do that but like uh no, no i'm just no I, I mean i hear what you're saying and i and we don't have time really and unfortunately it's such a, a nuanced conversation now, that being said, I mean, it's like the struggles that women go through is just, I mean, it's massive, massive. And we're not talking Absolutely. about that. What we're talking about is, is, and you're so right, is that they're like, buck up, kid, go to work, shut your mouth, just just plow along. And work that's, the job you hate for 30 years and retire right. because that's what you're supposed to do. Well, you know, you're doing you're doing this big move. I hope it works out for you. And the beauty is, is that I'm sure Will Emily would take you back with open arms. Maybe not. And, and that and that's, was my goal. Like, I... I um, there's been a lot of pain in that organization, a lot of change, but good God, um, I, it's been like, it's been my life. And yeah. so, so much of my identity's wrapped up in that. So I can never leave. I fill out my voluntary application before I left. I'll be working on a ride and yeah. all that stuff. Cause it's been such a big part of my life. So, yeah. um, Patrick, I, uh, I really appreciate the work you do. And, um, I know having a podcast that nobody gives a shit about is really hard. <laughs> it's growing. It's growing. I mean, the beauty is, the I'm be- kidding. The be- I, but, no. but really, like, this is the uh, you're using your talents and your skills to like make the world a better place. I'm and, trying, yeah, and you're doing a good job at it. Like getting the word out there, and letting people talk, hear a school board candidate talk, or let listen to the mayor talk off the cuff, and get to know these people that are leading our community is it's pretty cool. And yeah. you know, the beauty is, is that I like to think that for 30 minutes to an hour that us little peons in, in Springfield, Oregon are little celebrities. You know, we yeah. get to be, we get, and, and it gives a platform for people to come and share their stories. And yeah, it's been extremely rewarding and I've learned so much and it's a beautiful thing. So yeah. Zach Bissett, I appreciate you so very much. Uh, I picked a song today that I thought you would, you get a kick out of cause it's really wacky. Uh, a local uh, performer. So Tim Miller, one of my customers, I've been cutting his hair for quite a few years. He's an older guy. So he had had, we had not seen him since COVID, you know, his wife was cutting his hair. And so he popped back in. He's like, I'm vaccinated. I'm ready to, to mingle. And I, he, we got to talking about making music and that kind of stuff. And he said, well, I don't have any recordings that my name is the, the main guy, but I've played with a friend of mine. Uh, his, his name is Brooke Adams and he goes by El Borco. And so this is a fun little playful song that, that, uh, I think they had worked on together, but I know that uh, Brooke Adams had recorded. And so uh, we're going to end it with that. Zach Bissett, thank you very much. And so this is El Borco with Boulevard Street. Off of the super highway where the chemical plants excrete by the Crisco River coffee shop where inferior decorators meet. Well, there's a golf course called Goose Meadows, but the meadows and geese are gone. Down on Boulevard Street Down on Boulevard
Then there's something I must know Like the secret sanctuary 